0: It's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. Winging It with Vince Carter and Annie Finberg is back in full swing for its second season. Catch up on recent episodes with guests like Wyclef Jean, who talks about growing up in Haiti, hip-hop as a teacher, and performing with a goat. And you can hear from tennis phenom Coco Gauff on beating Venus Williams at 15 years old. You can listen to Winging It on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Welcome, J.J. Reddick, Tommy Alter. We're back. We're back. The last time we recorded a pod was, I believe, the, the Hampton special round Mid, two. Mid-July Hampton. Mid-July, So yeah. much has changed. A lot has changed. A new decade. We're recording this, yeah, right after New Year's. We're going to be joined by one of my Pelican's teammates. But before we get to that, first of all, we... We almost didn't have the podcast today.
0: We almost did not. You were
1: celebrating. uh, Freshly uh, (laughs) off the
0: plane from Mexico City. Yeah. How bad is food poisoning? Well, I was looking this up on the flight today. There's a thing called Montezuma's Revenge, which apparently I got. And what that basically is, is this certain type of food poisoning that you get when Americans go to Mexico City they, whether it's the water or certain spices or something like that, like they're not necessarily like their bodies are not used to things that happen. So yesterday I was just, I was knocked. And I was thinking about calling you and just being like, JJ, like you need to, you need to rock this friends of by yourself. But the truth is Mexico city is, I would say top five culinary city in the world, even with the food poisoning. I'm I would, I would give my strongest recommendation to it as a city.
1: That is a strong recommendation. I went once for the, some portion of the global games for a preseason game when I was my last year in Orlando. I didn't really venture outside. Um, but I know that the food scene there is, is pretty insane. The last time I actually had food poisoning, I was, I was also ask. out of the country. It was last year in, um, in China. When we went with the Sixers.
0: Oh, you got it on that trip?
1: Yeah. And I, I think like I, a
0: miserable trip I don't, I don't really know with.
1: what it was, but, um, I think it was sea urchin, <laughs> which I couldn't eat it sea is, urchin for like six months. It's the
0: worst feeling on earth. You feel like you're, you feel like your body is just breaking. Wait, did you have it? Did you miss the game?
1: No, I'm just, I just missed a practice. So like we landed and then we were going to have practice the next day. I went on the bus. They sent me home. I slept for basically like 20 hours, went to the arena, and then shot 10 for 10 that night against the Mavericks. <laughs>
0: With everybody booing the shit out of you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: It was a whirlwind 48 hours. So it really you ever was. have
0: had, like going back to college, have you ever had a game where you got sick right before and it actually affected you? I have, and I have a follow-up question to this. But I, don't, I, so
1: I didn't have things. food poisoning, but I actually missed a game in Philly last year. It was like a home game against Toronto. It was the night we actually made the Tobias trade. We lost a game against Toronto. I like tried to warm up. They sent me home with nausea like that's what they classify the injury as like why I was missing the game which wait this, sounds so this is terrible, see, this is my but, follow up yeah. so
0: what percentage of when you see when when nBA players get listed as questionable and or not playing with flu like symptoms is that actual flu like symptoms slash food poisoning versus mm-hmm. like hangover? Just being tired, not wanting to play, did it rest load management. Like, what do you think the breakdown is?
1: Well, probably a little bit of everything. The only thing is, I've in my career, there's only been like one time where a guy's been like hungover and not played the next day.
0: It's got to be a really bad hangover to not play at <laughs> right. seven
1: thirty the, the next night. <laughs> like
0: that's a it's a it must I be a larger. I,
1: I somebody had sent me a photo randomly of him with someone we knew at like in the and it was like time stamped at like four the thirty in the morning. Do, you
0: remember, do you remember the city
1: it or, orlando, orlando it was in orlando yeah, yeah, it was in orlando um but uh i the, the the new thing with the nBA and the the injury protocol is like because of this like load management rest backlash controversy or, or or whatever you know you have to actually say like what it is this guy's missing and if it's missing for a specific reason, then there better be like documentation of this. Yeah. So, like, I, I, you know, you, you, you miss a game, you gotta, you can't just say, like, I'm resting or load management. It, load management game. can only be if there's a pre existing injury.
0: What do you think about this, the load management thing overall? Because it's been, it's a, and we're in, we're yeah. in L.A., and there's actually been sort of an interesting, not really fight, but like LeBron and, and, and Anthony Davis have treated their season very differently than Kawhi and the Clippers have in terms of like the games that they've played versus not.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting to me. I think every player sort of has an opinion on this for sure. Um All the, you know, all the old guys, the, the OGs and the NBA have an opinion on this. Um I think it comes down to each individual guys sort of, belief in career and also just your, your belief in your body. Like if you have an injury that you feel like could potentially pop up and be a detriment to a long-term healthy career, then there is some management that is involved in that for sure. And I do think like if there's one thing I sort of learned, you know, in my time in Philly, like they monitored everything we did. They, they we basically had scores of our load and like they would just flag you and they'd be like, you're running hot. We need to find a game for you to sit. Yeah. And. Look, I appreciate that. You know, if if I, I feel like for a lot of guys, if a team is looking out for you, like I'm my own worst enemy, like I can just speak for myself. Like I'm going to go You're until I every pull a hamstring or yeah. get a back spasm. Like there's times when I'm like, man, I really, I really wish I had taken that game off. It would have made sense to to do that. Now, obviously this whole thing with the schedule change, like I don't even know how, like Cuban brought up, I think the best point about this in that we'll. Teams and players strategize to get essentially an extra two weeks of rest while this in-season tournament is happening. The guys well, that are so, not
0: playing. So that that throws a. I I wanted to get to this later. Like I don't understand how they're going to, how do you how you even approach the sort of like strategy around how it's it's going to be in December, right?
1: From, from what I understand, it's going to be in December. You're going to spend. That first part of the season playing all your division teams four times. Yeah. And then you're going to get, I guess, seeded, whatever, six division winners. The other <laughs> two teams are sort of wild card. And then those eight, eight teams play. What if a guy is not incentivized by the million dollar prize money or whatever? Yeah. And now he's saying, well, that, you know that seven days off, eight days off in do the you, middle of December sounds do you pretty like good. Feel like the
0: players are talking about this because I don't think it's gotten a huge amount of attention anywhere.
1: No, I think I, I also it, it's not that far off. Yeah, we're talking about two seasons from yeah. now, right? No, like it's, it's a lot of guys just who are the now corner. are going to
0: be playing yeah. them.
1: I I would say this like the, the 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 timing of everything sucked because we crammed sixty six games into a very short amount of time. But like that, sixty six game season was pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, it was, it was pretty really awesome. exciting. It was exciting. Yeah,
1: it was the lockout year was pretty great. Um,
0: well, you brought up you brought up. But I'm not, i not.
1: Look, I I think I speak for everyone from the player side, like and owners too, obviously. But like we we also realize like there's got to be ways to make up that revenue. So if you're gonna do if you're gonna shorten the regular season, maybe you get the revenue from the in season tournament or whatever it may be. But you can't shorten the season and not replace that revenue with something else.
0: Do you think that this is back to the load management thing for a second? Do you think that th- the fans are owed seeing the best players every night?
1: Oh, that's, uh, yeah, I, I, I totally get that. It sucks. Um, you know, there's been times where even when I've been legitimately hurt and you know, you come out for the game and you maybe you spot like a Duke four jersey in the crowd Yeah. and you're like, man, that, I I wish I could have played.
0: Like, tonight. would you have that thought? Say you're in Carolina, so you're playing Charlotte. You're like, you know, they people boo are me. Be there,
1: they you. boo me in Charlotte.
0: <laughs> <laughs> We're just gonna, all the more reason. Why, it's you always the play. random places
1: <laughs> where you're like, why? There's
0: Utah. Duke, Ford, in
1: Minnesota. <laughs> like, why? What, what is this? <laughs>
0: but I think that's like a like you brought up Philly. I think there's a there's two schools of thought to this because while it does suck for the fans, it's also like Joel is a perfect example of like he's a One of the premier talents in the world, but he can't play two games. If you're a Sixers fan, you shouldn't want him to play any two games. It's, it's, it's counterintuitive to the, to the team having success.
1: Sure. If you're a fan of the Sixers, you're, it's in the best interest for Joel to be managed in terms of the number of games he played. I, I think there's a gripe, like, and I don't know how logistically you would do this, but like, if you could tell, fans in advance. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think this, I think. All right. In two weeks, we're playing a second night of a back-to-back in Charlotte and Kawhi's not playing. And And then all the Kawhi fans that were going to buy tickets for that, or maybe already had bought tickets for that, get to throw those back on StubHub or SeatGeek or whatever you're using.
0: Yeah. Well, the the thing is because I've been to a bunch of the games out here. He really just, I mean, he's a different type of guy in general. Like there was a game, I think they were playing Atlanta or Phoenix back in November where, he was basically doing it based off of like, he wasn't playing back to backs. Like that was his thing. And so this game was like not a back to back fight. He didn't have an injury. He just like decided one. He like decided three hours before, like, I don't want to play. And he didn't play. And like, to your point, even if they had said earlier in the day, like, Hey, he's not playing tonight. I think it changed the dynamic. Like they said it 20 minutes before the game. Like, yeah, he's not coming out and playing. And so I can, I definitely sort of see, uh, both schools of thought on it. And that, like, while it makes sense for him and clearly last year this strategy worked out um at the same point you know if you're from i don't know if you're from a couple hours away and you get to see one clipper game a year and you go to see this and and there's no Kawhi and there's no pg and you sort of have no rhyme or reason for it like with this all being said i will say the like this is it's a little bit like with broadway you know it's like you go to see hamilton and like lynn lynn might not be performing and it's like shit happens
1: i i think that extreme to this of course is i heard a story this season of uh relayed to me there was an agent telling a this guy's in his third or fourth year he's like 24 years old 23 years old he uh and he's on a non-playoff team and his the agent was telling him you sh- you shouldn't play back-to-backs it's in your best interest to not play back-to-backs i think that, I don't necessarily agree with that. Like no. If no. again, and this guy's completely healthy or whatever, you're, you're obviously a huge NBA fan. And, you know, I think part of this whole conversation is around creating interest in the regular season. There's a, uh, a, you know, a school of fans that just say, oh, the regular season doesn't matter in the NBA. You know, playoffs are all that matter from your perspective. First of all, do you enjoy the regular season? And, and then also like what could be done? to drum up interest for the haters?
0: I think this, I mean, I I enjoy the regular season because, you know, obviously we will watch games and we'll talk about it and everything like that. I'm in a little bit of a different situation than sort of most fans and that I've just been, I've gotten close to it, you know, and so I've gotten to see for for better, for worse, the ins and outs of the league. I think, though, there's a, you know, there's a huge difference when you're watching a game, uh, one of the Christmas games, for example, versus watching a game last night between take a, take two random teams between Utah Utah and Phoenix or something like that. And so there's a, you can, you can tell as a casual observer, not knowing, not having any sort of inner knowledge or anything like that about the league, that like guys try harder in certain situations, which, and this is at the quiet point for a second, one thing I do, it's in a weird way I respect. I think it's funny about how like he's gone about it, but part of why this whole thing came up if you remember back in november was i think it was it was either espn or tnt he got really pissed because he kept doing it he kept not uh, yeah, playing in the big national yeah. games so it's like they're playing Giannis, and he's like no i'm not playing i don't care and so that in a weird way is it's almost just kind of like admirable and that he's sticking to his guns on it regardless and he's not it's just different and i think that it's a weird situation for the league because i don't I understand, like we were talking about the tournament earlier. I understand that they have to, you know, it's innovate or die. And so the league's obviously in a great place and it's growing and everything like that. But at the same point, they can't sit on their laurels. They always need to try new things. But at the same point, you know, there's just such a difference in, uh, there's such a difference in the just overall buzz around the sport when you're watching when you're watching a playoff game versus a regular season game. I don't know how you can manufacture that otherwise.
1: This is a nice segue. Uh, We should mention and acknowledge uh, the passing of our former commissioner, David Stern, um, who was an incredible commissioner. You know, one of the words that uh, keeps coming up is just visionary uh, innovation. I know, he expanded the league when he took over the league, had a bad reputation. They were still tape delaying playoffs and finals games. Yeah. Um, he really modernized the NBA. He branded the NBA, um, just an incredible commissioner and in what he did for the league made over, it over a global, 30 years. A yeah.
0: global phenomenon and,
1: uh, prayers and, and thoughts out to, to his family. And
0: did you ever have any, uh, one-on-one time with him? Oh.
1: Very brief one-on-one time. Obviously I got to shake his hand, the 2006 NBA draft, but my interactions with him, with him after that were, were very brief. I've gotten to know Adam a yeah. little bit more, but, uh but yeah it's it's uh it's sad obviously I thought
0: that the, you mentioned that handshaking thing one of the you know there were a ton of really fascinating obits of him that came out yesterday that I would recommend everybody read just in terms of giving the broad scope of all that he accomplished but some of the sort of player reaction to him is like you you know you realize like that moment, that moment when you go to shake the commissioner's hand, it, it's a one of one thing. You're never going to have it. <laughs> right. Like it's never going to happen again. And so you, you could just sort of see that it was like even guys that didn't necessarily know him well or anything like that. I do feel like in the NBA, it's, it's a little more dramatic. It just is a thing that like, there's so think about all the iconic images of guys shaking David Stern's hand yeah. over the years.
1: There's so many, there are millions and millions of people that play basketball all over the world. And for, Basically 30 years, 30 guys every year got to go up there and shake his hand. Yeah. First round picks. Somebody asked me about it a couple of days ago, what I remembered about that moment for me. The thing that stuck with me the most was I just felt like it was official. It wasn't official. Like Even like you're waiting there, your agent tells you, hey, Orlando's going to pick you next. All right, it's not official. It's not official. And then he calls your name. You know, you hug your family. You walk up on stage. You shake his hand. You take that photo. And now you're like it. you're officially, yeah, in the NBA fraternity at that moment.
0: And and you can you can see. I mean, the the amount of emotion constantly with like with from from the first pick to the 27th pick. It just there's a you can see that on the faces of the guys that get picked. Um. So let's talk. Let's talk some. Uh, well, first of all, you know we haven't done one of these since you got to New Orleans. We did this after you had signed, um, but you obviously had not played at this point. So, what have been some of your takeaways so far
1: of New Orleans?
0: Well, well these are two different <laughs> conversations. There's New Orleans as a city, but New Orleans yeah. basketball.
1: Yeah, let's talk about the city first. I had no idea, sort of, what to what expect. You're get, you
0: getting yourself into
1: as a resident of New Orleans as a visiting player, and I visited for 13 years, you know, you stay at the Ritz or one of those hotels downtown, you know, you usually go somewhere where you can walk. Yeah. So you're sort of staying in this little tiny corridor. You're not really getting out and exploring New Orleans. There's obviously, you know, the Bourbon Street and and all the partying, Mardi Gras, all that stuff. And I've been there during Mardi Gras as a visiting player. And it's, yeah, I mean, the street's in that area it can smell like alcohol and urine like it's, it's a it's it's a it's, wild a, place. it's, a, it's Not, the wild wild west um but i so i we go in and and uh I would say my Chelsea and the boys moved down for this year, and we just had an amazing time there's very few places where i I would say like oh I could live there i i I could live there and like New Orleans is one of those places like I really, really enjoy uh living there um obviously the food but there's incredible parks there's incredible museums and cultural things to do one of my favorite nights i've had in new orleans was we had like a monday night game i think it was against the rockets this was maybe like 6 weeks ago and win butler from arcade fire was at the game and he's like huge
0: basketball fan. huge
1: basketball fan huge nba fan and he texted me he was like hey come do you know such and such a place for some food afterwards so i went we went on magazine street in like the garden district grab some food and he said uh i'm going i'm going to watch this this uh, brass band play over in uh marigny like do you want to come with me and so we went to this random dive bar and the lead the lead singer of this brass band was was wearing a white tunic <laughs> slippers striped socks <laughs> oh, and i sorry. couldn't understand a word he was saying singing yeah and it was one of the it was one of the most fun nights I've had in years like literally, and by the end of it like had had picked up the tambourine and was like playing along with the band
0: It does feel like there's a level of spontaneity there that doesn't necessarily There were grown men yeah, it doesn't just wearing overalls
1: dancing in a fashion that I've never seen
0: Um what's been surprising about the city
1: So here's my take on the food scene in New Orleans <laughs> Here we go This is going to upset some just people This is going to All right. So New Orleans, obviously incredible food city. Locals have given me recommendations. And here's what I do. I just keep a list on my phone. It's an ongoing sort of note on my phone. And you
0: knew it pretty well. And I had some good,
1: good recs before. And I, I, I've tried my best in 13 years to, to try different restaurants. I just basically have made this list and I, any like free night I get, you know, if Chelsea's like, go grab some food after a game, if something's open, like I'm going to try out these different places. And my take is, Here's what I found in this New is Orleans. Hold on. Here's what I found in New Orleans. I've had some of the best things I've ever eaten in my life, but they're very specific things. So give they're me not necessarily like so a meal. A, what's an example? All right. There's this place, Turkey and the Wolf. It's a sandwich place. It's only open during the day. They do this pork and pepper sandwich. It's, uh, it's like roti bread with uh, an aioli on the bottom, some slow roasted pork, um, some peppers and then fried pig ears. Uh, on top and you sort of eat it like a taco <laughs> and it's insane
0: it sounds insane
1: anybody who's listening to this so, podcast but has so no why mar-
0: is this why is that but that's not, like not a, a meal no, i'm not going to sit down like at a, a, a restaurant lunch
1: we have like three courses no it's it's a first of all i wouldn't describe that as perfect lunch
0: no but it's just <laughs> a, it's a i i know what you're saying to a certain extent but like so you you're you're basically saying you haven't had the appetizer entree dessert every single part of it be perfect
1: yeah well yeah i guess there's like elements where i'm like oh that's good that's good but, but it's, it's never not, the complete package but i'm never like oh but I, I, I want all of that Can i, raise I want it? all everything I, you know when you go to a restaurant with a group of people and you start going hey and this was good and this was good and you're like oh everything was good
0: so like it's only you, happened. You really once. have not been to a restaurant where that's happened. One, one,
1: one, and I and I went twice, and we went back for New Year's Eve. That's Paladar Five Eleven, which oddly enough is an Italian restaurant, and it feels like you're in Brooklyn.
0: <laughs> this is this is super surprising. I would also say though, you are a uh, you're a particularly tough critic, <laughs> and so that that makes these that makes these. I think these. I think for me or for oh my gosh Richie or whatever like I think for us, it's like we would eat these things and be like, "This is a perfect meal," and you're sitting there and you're like. Oh, this is this one part of it was not perfect, and so it's going to throw you <laughs> off. I think that that makes it a little challenging. I'm I'm very surprised by this, though.
1: No, I would say like if I'm craving oysters, but, like I know where to go for so, oysters, but I'm not going to necessarily have like. So an how oyster. often,
0: if you were in like if you're in New York or if you're if you're in Philadelphia or someone, like how often were you having the the perfect meal? Like more than this?
1: Yeah, I just felt like it was I like more complete. People in New Orleans are going to shit on oh, me for this. This is fucking crazy. Maybe I'm expressing this wrong to you. <laughs> what's the, I'm just what's you.
0: the what's the uh
1: like? Okay, so I here's sorry, I went to a Koshan after a game, which I, I think on one of my podcasts at some point in time, maybe multiple podcasts, I talked about Koshan. Yeah. It's a Donald Leak restaurant, amazing yeah. place, and my favorite version of oysters is at this place. They do like this cast iron skillet with these little holes cut out in them. <clears throat> they throw some chili butter in on top of the oysters and they cook them in a wood wood burning oven and they give them to you and they're insane. They're insane. So one night I would go after the game. I'm eating the oysters, had a beer, I'm walking out and there's this gentleman that was across uh, the bar from me and he sort of gets up to leave at the same time and he's like, hey man, I really want to thank you for the recommendation. And I was like, the recommendation of what? And he said, I heard you talk about the oysters here. Three years ago on your Yahoo podcast.
0: <laughs> Basketball wise, you sort of got off to a rough start. Yep. But playing a lot better of late. It's a lot of young guys, which you knew going in. Um, obviously Zion is not back yet. What's been what's similar to Philly, what's different, because that that first year was similar in certain ways, and that's a lot of super yep. talented young guys who are just figuring it out. That, that is definitely
1: a similarity. I actually, I actually said that to the team. Um, you know, I remember our, our first year in Philly, I think we were like 14 and 18 on Christmas, uh, going into the Christmas day game and we won 52 games and got a three seed. So, you know, things can happen where the season sort of turns. I, what's interesting about our season, we started the season one and seven. Uh, then we won a few games. I think we won five of seven. Then we had a 13 game losing streak. I think now we've won five of seven or five of six, yeah, and even with the one and seven start and the thirteen game losing streak, we're like three and a half or four games out of the eight spot. yeah,
0: I was looking at it's four four out
1: It's pretty wild, obviously the east is sort of this year almost as deep as the west or as deep as the west, so it's it's really interesting. um I think for any young team, like building trust, building consistency um is really difficult. And, uh, I think the biggest switch we made recently, like starting with the Brooklyn game through the West Coast trip and then our last two games at home has just been our defense. You know, I think we're, you know, from an efficiency rating over those six, seven games, we're number one or number two, depending on which metric you look at. Um, in terms of defensive rating, um, our offense has oddly enough gotten sort of progressively worse as, as the season has gone on, but I, I expect us to, to to fix that, I mean, I, th- I think we have a lot of guys that can can, can put the ball in the basket, and obviously, um, getting Zion back uh, will be huge, yeah, for sure.
0: How much How much do you think? Um, I mean, you've seen this not just in Philly, but just all the different sort of teams over the years. There's so many new pieces on this team. Yeah. I mean, like just across the board, it's like the guys that came from LA, yeah. the the rookies, the you favors, all these different guys. Like, what what do you think the uh, the month of the season where you're like, okay, we should have everything figured out, should be is.
1: Well, I'm hoping March, because that's that much, yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, in March, like our schedule just completely changes, and where we're way. we're basically that entire month, our last like 15 or 16 games are against teams that are currently not in the playoffs right now. So that's and if you looked serious. at like you know first our first 20 games, you know I Griff uh, David Griffin showed me a little graphic. He showed a bunch of us like in terms of strength of schedule, like he had charted out every team in the NBA and ours was like top of the league. And then middle half was like average strength of schedule. And then second half was literally the bottom. Yeah. We had the easiest strength of schedule. So if we're, and I, this is kind of what I communicated to the team was like, if we're building consistency, building habits, building trust and all that, like it will turn. We obviously needed to figure out how to execute better down the stretch, and I think we, we're getting better with that, obviously, we, we you know, with, with the wins recently. But there's a chance. I, I really believe this. Like, I, I think we're, there's still a really good chance we're a playoff team.
0: Make a run. Well, yeah. it's funny you mentioned that because I remember that first Philly year, that's what happened is it was like sort of scuffling, scuffling. Yeah. Everyone is complaining. I kept telling Brett. I'm like, yo, we're like, pretty good, it, it, and, then, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, yeah. it was like first week of March, and I think it, it coincided with the, some things internally on the team, but then also like – the schedule got a little easier, yeah, and then all of a sudden, was it's like exactly traded the for Our schedule got LA. easier, and we yeah, hit and it's that like you, you, 16, 17 you, game you, winning streak, you bust off sixteen wins yeah. in a row, and everyone's like, "This is the best, this is the best team in the East." And all of like, a sudden, we were a contender, yeah, and you are like, <laughs> like, "Well, we're the same the finals, team. We just, sure. we just we just we yeah. just got to yeah." What uh, what around the league has surprised you so far? Wow. I tell you, what's surprising to me, which is not not surprising
1: actually, but is just remarkable. I I want to point out the fact that. The Bucks won 60 games last year, 62 games, whatever it was. Giannis got MVP and then he came back this year and is better. Like that says something about the type of person and player that he is yeah. and how driven he is. I'm, I'm impressed by him. Like he, I really am impressed by him. And their team is built, like I think their team is built around his strengths, which there's an impetus on an impetus on on a front office to do that. And I think they've done that. They've done a great job. Before we get to Zion, uh, we're gonna do a couple regularly recurring segments on the pod, one of which will be one
0: a uh, one act of boredom on the road. Which is always my favorite conversation. And because yeah. people the thing people don't realize is they don't realize how much dead time you have in these cities where you just you have no, you just have nothing to do. You got to figure it out. So, what's been your favorite uh, recent board activity?
1: I'm going to paint a very depressing picture here. <laughs> so, we left on the 10th for Milwaukee. 10th of December. Of December, my kids and my wife went up to New York on the 12th for Christmas. My wife came back on the 26th. The kids went down to Florida with their grandparents till yesterday. I didn't see my kids for three weeks. So, on Christmas Eve, I'm now like eight days into this trip. I haven't seen my kids in two weeks. And it's Christmas Eve.
0: You got know? Christmas songs playing and enough I'm to alone. The night
1: <laughs> I'm alone. So I was in a bad place. I was in a bad place. And, um, and I was like, man, I I'm just going to watch a movie here. And I watched, um, the new Michael Bay movie on Netflix, Six Underground. It was really poorly written. A lot of plot holes. I mean, a lot of plot holes there. W- I wouldn't describe it as like a well acted film either, yeah. but. It was a Michael Bay movie. And so it was entertaining. So you knew as fuck. he blew a lot of it shit up.
0: Of course. And
1: I, I actually loved it. And this is a movie. If you go by, you know, the aggregate rating sites, like this was a movie that had, you know, 30 or 40% on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, which brings me to our second recurring segment, which is going to be power rankings. And we're going to rank, I know the ringer did this fairly recently, but we're going to rank our favorite bad movies. Yep. I only picked four. You're, you picked five. Are you going first? Or you, you can go first since you have the extra one.
0: Okay. Number five. Not another teen movie. 2001 classic. Came a couple years after Scary Movie, which is sort of like the gold standard for uh, just straight parody films where there's no plot. Yeah. No, or anything I know the movie. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> I know the movie. So I was watching this the other day. I'd say it's like 82 minutes. It's I mean, it doesn't even, it doesn't even really come close to getting to 90. But the whole thing is incredibly funny. And it's also just makes you remember those, there was a, there was that whole generation from the 95 to 2003 of these teen movies that she's all that, and they just do such a great job of, uh, of capturing that.
1: All right. I'm going to give you, I'm actually going to give you two movies cause okay. there it's, it's one movie and then a sequel and these yeah. will be two of my five. And the fact that these movies are even considered bad movies really irks me cause I think they're phenomenal. And I think in terms of Nicolas Cage are as good as, as it gets, but National Treasure and National Treasure Two,
0: but don't you think? And I think we both have another Nicolas Cage movie on this list, which we can get to. <laughs> all of his movies are considered bad to a certain extent.
1: There was the one movie about him as some sort of detective in New Orleans. I can't remember the name of the movie. What is it called? Bad Detect- Port of Orleans, <laughs> Port of Yeah, Bad Detective. Yeah, I think there's like and even- that got critically. That was that had critical acclaim.
0: Well, Leaving Las Vegas did, which also was one of the most yeah. depressing movies I've ever seen. But for the most part, it's like, Nicholas, this is what he does. He does these ridiculous action movies. But so my next one, Con Air.
1: Is also on my list.
0: I don't understand that people think Con Air is bad. (laughs) If you're flipping through channels and you're going to stop and watch something. Con Air to me is a probably top five rewatchable movie. I've probably seen it 25 times. But to your point about like Rotten Tomatoes and things like that, like it was not well reviewed.
1: Well, I, I think I think I think The Rock is a comparable movie. The next movie on your list, I think, is also a Michael Bay movie. Bad Boys Two. Yeah, also a Michael Bay movie.
0: Bad Boys 23 percent on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: That's shocking. Which is
0: honestly makes me angry.
1: So this is a movie that, again, if we're going on Rotten Tomatoes, it's got fifty five percent. Which is shocking. I would. I actually thought it would be in the '80s. It's a movie that probably didn't get as much credit as it should have when it first came out, but it's arguably one of Will Ferrell's greatest movies, and that's Step Brothers.
0: Unquestionably great movie. Ah, <sighs> unquestionable.
1: You don't think it's a bad movie? No. The entire premise. It's it's one of the stupidest premises of any of his movies.
0: My second one is another Will Ferrell movie, Night at the Roxbury. You ever see it? <laughs> no.
1: Not in its entirety. So, Nerd of, <laughs> of
0: the Roxbury is a legitimately bad movie. Unlike yeah. some of the other movies on this list, it is it, it's a, basically it's, it came from an SNL sketch, which wasn't even a particularly popular or good SNL sketch. And they did the thing that they were doing a lot of in the 90s, where they took these things and they thought they could make a little bit of money off. It. And they basically pumped out a movie with Will Ferrell and Chris Kattan. And it's not good, but. What is it I about can't that you I can't look away. I can't look away. And it, but part of it is like, this was Will Ferrell. This was like peak Will Ferrell. This was the 90, I think it was 97 to 04 at the at the beginning stage of that okay. Will Ferrell era where everything he was doing was funny. Yeah. And I think if you had somebody else in that part, the movie is literally unwatchable because there's nothing else in it that really drives any sort of uh, appeal. But he's so funny in it that it works. Yeah,
1: My number one movie on my bad, my favorite bad movie list, by the way, has 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. There's no one in the world that would call this a bad movie, but I'm calling it a bad movie, and that's Hoosiers. And I love Hoosiers, but it's a bad movie, and let me tell you why. (laughs) The movie is a bad movie for the editing alone, okay? They show, during the course of these high school basketball games, they'll show, let's call it 10 to 15 different clips of someone passing the ball, of someone scoring the ball, and in reality, it's the same two or three plays over and over again that they've just changed the camera angle. In the state championship game, Jimmy Chitwood hit the same shot three times. And when I rewatched this movie as an adult, I could not get over that It just that bothers fact. you. It, it just, just bothers in your head so much. Would it have like mattered if you just filmed a couple more scenes. This is
0: a totally fair note. That is a note that you will, it's sort of like the bomberjack thing. (laughs) Like normal people don't think
2: this (laughs) way.
1: It just drives me crazy. And I did it. It's a bad movie because of that to me, but because that was the movie, there's these uh, people, uh, Laura and Dean Miller that used to babysit us when my mom first started, when she first went back to work and we were still homeschooled and, they had like three VHS tapes at their house and they would always say, all right, if you guys want to watch a movie, watch a movie. And I would always watch Hoosiers. And that's, so this movie, like it actually has like real meaning to me, but it is, it, I can't get over that fact. Rewatch like the movie, this, by like the way. I like
0: this tick. I'm pro this. I'd never even thought about this, but I'm, I think this is. Okay. I, think you, is I don't a, know your I, number I, one I movie. Number You've one.
1: kept it from me. So what is it?
0: It was a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> the vaunted 0%. It's called Gaudi stars john travolta it's about oh, john yeah. Gotti. it came out like two three years ago i would say um no hyperbole it's the worst made movie i've ever seen <laughs> in my entire life um with things like like they basically stopped using makeup halfway through the movie. they clearly ran out of money <laughs> when they were making the movie and the I Did blonde and I did a hair little, in the movie he does at certain points. He's at he's all point, over sorry. he's all over the map. And <laughs> okay. I did a lot of research after the first time I saw it because somebody I had never even heard of it. It didn't even make it to theaters. Yeah. It was a straight to video, it was a straight to video right. movie, and I had never heard of it. And I had a friend call me and basically just be like, You need to watch Gotti ASAP. So I started watching it. There's a couple things. The theme song to the movie uh is Pitbull. Pitbull, the artist from Miami. Okay. Did a, an original score, original score and theme for the movie. Which makes like no sense in every way. It's like Pitbull's a modern Miami artist. Scotty was a New York <laughs> yeah. lobster, da, da, yeah. all these different things. But like it's pretty clear when you're watching the thing that they blew all their money on the Pitbull score. Oh, because wow. they don't have yeah. like there's about five real actors in the movie. It's John Travolta, his wife plays his wife in the movie. Um, a couple of the kids are actors, and everyone else is like people they just picked up off the street from Long Island. And you can see when you're watching because they're not acting. They're just kind of talking, and wow. so there's so there's all. Of this. I'm intrigued. It's I mean I, I've intrigued. seen I've seen this movie about six times. It is a <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> it is a true like only person that sat through this movie if you're, six if, times. if you're with a couple of friends and you're like and you and you're at home and you have nothing to do and you don't want to go out but you don't want to like just put it on it is a, it's a, it's basically impossible to not enjoy. Um, and a little, that's not a spoiler of the movie at all, but just a little backstory because I did a big deep dive to the first time I saw it. Part of why it's like this is the movie's financed by the Gotti family.
1: Uh, so guys, okay.
0: John Gotti, who's like objectively uh uh murderer, just a horrible person, is the hero in the movie. John Travolta plays the he plays him as a right. hero in the movie. And so you can sort of see why this thing never made it to theaters or anything like that. Also, the zero if anything ever has a zero percent around tomatoes. To me, it's worth seeing. Right, that's oppressive. That's ac- that's
1: actually a good point. Yeah, you can't really have like it's like sort of like a, like a self funded documentary about yourself or like, even like like a memoir. They're oftentimes not objective.
0: And especially when you are a, a professional liar and murderer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> Great point. All right. Well, I actually I think your list is phenomenal. I'm second guessing my own list and as to whether Step Brothers is a bad movie. In fact, but. Uh, let's get to our guest. This guy, uh, I'm sure a lot of people want to hear from. Um, he was the number one pick in the NBA draft last summer. He's my teammate, uh, and he's got uh, a massive amount of hype around him, but he's uh, an unbelievable kid. All right, we're going to be joined by Zion Williamson. All right. We are now joined by my Pelicans teammate. Uh, a lot of people know this guy, Zion Williamson. The young
0: legend, the in the young legend in the building. Young
1: legend in the building. We were just talking, but this is, this is the first podcast you've ever done. First one. I feel like this is like a rookie duty that you're fulfilling for me. Like the vet asking the rookie to do something. This is you coming on my pod. I boy. haven't done and What have I
2: done? I've not asked you to do anything, right? You have not. I think we have the easiest rookie duties out of the entire league. What's he like as a teammate? (laughs) That's a great question. That's a great question. (laughs) Um, I think it depends on in what situation you act. You know, off the court, you can learn a lot from him, and I'm not BSing any answers. Off the court, you can learn a lot from him through his 13 now, 14, 14, 14 14 years of experience on the court. You can see that. He's been with great teams and he knows what it takes to win. Um, I think the first serious moment I had with JJ was a uh, first time in the locker room. It was just me and him. He was like, you know, Z, I'm 13 for 13, like don't mess this up for me. Don't fuck this up. And I was like, I said, don't, fuck, don't fuck don't <laughs> fuck this up. <man. laughs> I said that. This what is... were the
0: what were the stories like? Did you ever get any Duke stories about him?
2: Um Oh yeah, That's did it. you hear did you That's hear any stories JJ. about me at Duke? Uh yeah, I heard a lot of stories. About him. <laughs> You know, good depending on who you are. Uh, I'm sure Coach K said some good things about me. Oh, Coach K said a lot of great things about you. Um, you know, Coach K' way of saying it was, you know, JJ Reddick is a dude that if you work hard, you can make the league. Six mm. four white guy, <laughs> <but> thirteen. <years. laughs> I mean, it's not, he's not wrong.
1: <laughs> I feel like he's kind of knocking my skill level. Honestly, I want to go back to the rookie thing real quick. First of all. I feel like we as a team have not really made you guys do a lot of stuff. There's no nothing ridiculous. There's been no popcorn in anyone's cars. Nobody's wearing pink Hello Kitty book bags, right? What is the what What is the one thing that me and the the commission of vets that we
2: said has to be done? What is the one thing? I think the one thing I said that has to be done is. The rookies just have to bring Chick-fil-A onto the plane to, to buy the, the rookies item. have to bring Chick-fil-A. Is it and over I was
0: Chick-fil-A or is it
2: I was very specific
1: about the rules about Chick-fil-A. There it's only expected to be on the plane on a fly out day, right? Either when we have practice or we're leaving New Orleans, right? Maybe meet at the plane, two o'clock, practice,
2: plane at one, whatever. What happened today?
1: What happened today?
2: <laughs> um, you know, I asked the same question. I, as soon as I walked onto the plane, everybody was already there. I think I was the last one. And I didn't see any Chick-fil-A. And I, I started looking at, like, where all the rookies sit. I said, all right, there goes Melly. There's Jackson. There's Nikhil. Oh, man, there's, there's no, no Chick-fil-A. <laughs> so I'm just kind of saying, you know what? I'm going to sit on the side and, like, play it off, see if, like, anybody notices. And then I hear J.J. It drew over here. <laughs> you know what? Let's see when they get those per diems. Let's see what's going to happen. I'm like, you know, what? I'm just kind of.
1: The per diems had already been passed out by the time I found out that there was no Chick Fil A. But the next trip next week, I think everybody's per diem for the trip is like six hundred and fifty dollars. You multiply that by four, that's twenty six hundred dollars. That's about a technical foul. Yep. So I feel like that's a fair fine for this time missing the Chick Fil A. So being that this is your first podcast, do people I don't feel like people don't know a lot about you. Obviously the the basketball, the dunking, they they know
2: that part of it. How would you describe yourself off the court? I think I'm a, a goofy character who likes to have a lot of fun, but I think I'm more mature than I act for my own age.
0: Do you think part of why you're mature is you were thrown into the spotlight at a young age
2: Uh, i think that is a big reason why um and then i think my parents just prepared me for you know the nba um you know it is a dream come true but we gotta understand at the end of the day it's just a cutthroat league you you don't know what can happen
0: yeah when 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 you were like were you a sophomore when like your sort of clips started going Everywhere and everything like that.
2: I was a junior. Junior. Was there, was there, I was going to
1: ask this, like, was there yeah. a moment? Cause like we, I, I grew up where there was like Bob Gibbons and rankings. And, you know, if you got really good, you'd maybe make the McDonald's game, but like there was no Instagram and there certainly shout out overtime, but there certainly was an overtime that was posting clips that you could go access. Right. Was there like a specific moment or game
2: or clip where you were like, Oh, I'm, I'm a big deal. Uh, I'm going to say my junior year, I'm in this this little small gym in Columbia, South Carolina, like, you know, one of those church gyms. And I scored 47 points, but nobody cared about that part. It was the three or four, like, nasty dunks that I did, that overtime, Ball's Life, Elite Mixtapes, Famous lows, all of them got their hands on, and uh, I went from this – Number twelve from Spalding Day to the sixteen-year-old that looks like a grown man.
0: Yeah. Did you know, like, right when you got off the court that that was happening, or did you like find out after the fact?
2: Um, I think my friends, the people around me, they kind of got more hyped for me. It was, yeah, dude. I was like watching because I remember in high school at a certain, my junior year started off with three thousand followers, <laughs> and the season, uh, as the season would go on, kids would look at my Instagram like dude, you picked up like 6,000 followers in this like one class period. That's crazy. Like, And they would like tally how many I'd pick up. And that, after a while, it was like, all right, man, it's just Instagram. Like, yeah, relax.
0: So, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of interested in this like you're talking about because clearly just based off of everything you've done so far on and off the court, you just carry yourself with a level of maturity and just like did you – your parents aside, like how do you – I, there's so many examples of kids who get sort of well known, not even just in sports, but in everything, and it kind of throws them off, you know. Because like, like I think about like myself when I was that age, and it's like I was like a dipshit, and like I wasn't even famous, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's just there's so it's so easy to do when you're a young kid. So like, how are you? Like, how do you have the foresight to be like, okay, it's just Instagram, you know what I mean? When so many kids, it it gets to them in either way. Like, what do you think that was?
2: Honestly, I think it's just social media. I think so, I think people allow social media to dictate their opinions more than they should. And I mean, I'm just playing a game I love. I know people say it's a corny answer. It's cheesy, but I just genuinely love basketball. So as long as I get to do that, I'm fine. I, I remember when these clips
1: started becoming viral and every few days something right on Ballers Life or Overtime, you'd see it on Instagram. House of Highlights would put something up. Zion did this tonight or whatever. And I remember thinking to myself, like, oh, that's great, but, like, can this guy actually play, right? And then you committed to Duke, and I was like, all right, he probably is pretty good if he committed to Duke. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. But is, do, you, do you feel like – I think Vince Carter used to talk about this early in his career, but, like, you're known for, like, a singular athletic feat, right, the dunk, right? But there's so
2: much more to you as a player. Does that ever bother you? It's funny you say that. Uh It actually did bother me a little bit. I was like, "Jesus Christ, like I can I can do something other. Than, I have to get to the rim somehow." Yeah. And it's, it's part of the reason why I went to Duke. You know, Coach K came to me and he saw everything but the dunks. He was like, "You know, it's a dunk." He saw every other part of my game that I wanted the world to see, and that meant something to me. I said, "I want to play for a coach who actually knows my game, who knows how much value I bring to it." So. I think for Coach K to see that in me, it meant a lot because the whole dunking thing, I was like, I'm not getting 50 points off straight dunks. Like,
0: yeah,
2: just can't happen. Did you grow up a Duke fan? We've kind of talked about this. I'm, I'm one to always say I never was really like a fan of like no team, but I did grow up like watching you, Nolan, Shire. Uh, it was, it was crazy because I was looking at Nikhil like, Nikhil, do you, you realize I did half of what JJ did? but he just did it from beyond the arc. I did it like layups like getting to the rim and stuff. He did it all like threes and it was crazy.
0: Did you you played AU with Ja Morant? Yeah,
2: played? I played with Ja uh when we were like nobodies. Uh my freshman year so, summer and his sophomore summer.
0: How good was that team?
2: Me and Ja uh we were like the role players. Uh, I, I'm sorry, what? Why, is that <laughs> okay. Wait, uh, who are the stars? You guys are the
1: number one and two pick in the
2: draft. <laughs> uh, we were the role players. What people don't know is um he it's a dude that goes to Ole Miss now, Devontae Shuler, like, in South Carolina. He was the guy. And I remember, what, I, remember I used to play with him. I'm playing up-age group. I'm watching him play like, man, this dude is just going coast to coast, finishing, pulling up transition three like he's Curry. I'm like, I'm just a ninth grader. Nobody knows who I am. He, he's like top 30 in the nation. You know, just a certified bucket. You know, me and John ja just look at each other sometimes like, man, came a long way. Like, yeah, why you know us.
0: Switching from high school to Duke, what do you think the biggest challenge was? And then I'm going to ask, obviously you haven't played yet this year, but just in terms of like preparation and everything like that for this as well.
2: The biggest transition from high school to Duke was – the amount of talent I was surrounded by. Um, you know, in high school, if you're the guy, like, you can never be threatened and be put on the bench. It's just, it's not going to happen. You know, I got the Duke where RJ and Cam are ranked, ranked in front of me. And, you know, I'm like, man, these guys are, are, are elite. I'm looking at Cam like, Cam, you're Tracy McGrady, Penny Hardway, like, just mashed Like, Cam is so cold and RJ, like, he was just the dog. He was that dude. And I'm looking at, like, the other players, like Trey, uh, Jack, Javin. You know, when you play for Coach K, your role could change from high school to college, obviously. But he can make it in a way to where somebody off the bench who you nobody knew about could come in and take your spot. And he always made it like that. And I think that always had people on edge to always stay prepared and be ready. Did he ever bench you? Did you ever get benched for a duration period of time? Mine was during the summer. Uh, okay, uh, when, when we were at summer workouts. Um, this is before your freshman
1: year. You're saying, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah uh, we were at summer practice with Duke, and you know he has the white team and the blue team. I was always with the white team at first. I think it was like a week span when put whenever we would scrimmage, he'd go, "All right, Z, you're on the blue team." First, Michael, like, you know nothing against it, but you're like, wait, hold on, am I on the second team? Yeah but he did it for a reason. I, he plays so he plays mind games so well that he, he said, said, "I just wanted to bring the the beast out in you." Like he felt like I was holding back because I had other stars around me. Him putting me on the blue team really made me come out of my shell and attack those guys and always make my presence known on the court.
1: I was going to say just in general, this has nothing to do with coach K, but for for any like coach to tell you to switch your practice jersey color is literally the greatest mind fuck ever, <laughs> like right? Everything you thought like if you're if you're on the, the second team, you get switched to the first team. You're like, oh, what is this? Did I do something right? And vice versa, you're like, oh, am I getting demoted? Like, right. what is going on? Sometimes they just want to see a, a lineup combination. Like, they, yeah. that's all they they want to see.
0: But especially like the summer, you, yeah. it's such a such a sort of like high profile, high hype summer, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, how
1: yeah. has how has the uh, the daily preparation? as a pro how has that been because it's different obviously than high school college this is your only sort of thing you do this is your job
2: and how is that daily preparation daily routine been for you the preparation is completely different uh in college you know it's organized it's all right everybody we're gonna eat breakfast at this time we're gonna go to your rain at this time we're gonna stretch this that now you're in a situation of you get what you put out of it like I mean, some guys, like, i watch JJ go in the weight room and stretch for 20, 30 minutes and get activated. Other guys can probably just sit there, wait till game time and go, all right, let's go play. Um, And it's different. I think everybody has to find what they need to learn about their body, and once they do that, it's, the preparation is different because um, now you're a pro. You're held accountable. This isn't, all right, you know, like, you go sleep in your dorm, you know, sleep over the night, come to practice it's not that it's different. I will say that there's an autonomy that,
1: that happens, you know, that there, there's a, that you, you eventually, whether it happens your rookie year or for me, it was like towards the end of my second year, definitely my third year it was like, you just sort of take ownership of that part of your job. And you're saying, no, I, this is what I'm going to put into it every day, regardless of what the outcome is, regardless of what the result is, this is what I'm going to own. And I'll live with the result after that. And that's, I mean, I probably hit it a little earlier than most, but that's only because I had, you know, really good vets like Richard showing me to do that, how to do that every day. You know, hopefully we'll get to that point, man. <laughs> hopefully what in 10 the- years, when you have your own podcast, you'll be
0: <laughs> <laughs> the year. You have a more popular podcast than us. and so we're yeah. just going to be, <laughs> what, what's a normal road trip, uh, look like for you,
2: man. Now it's, it's crazy. Rehab is harder than practice. Uh, You know, for me, uh, no more road triples. I'll come in for practice. Um, I'll probably get in like an hour early, get stretched, activated. Then I'll go do player development. We'll go watch like film like 70% of the time unless we have like a day off between the game. Today was my first day of practice, but before that, I would just kind of watch, you know, they they just go walk through some stuff and get up some jumpers. If you want to stay after, you do that. I get on. We get on the plane. You know, I'm, everybody's like, "All right, like, I'm going to dinner. Want to go do this?" Oh yeah, I'll join. You know, Trajan or the training staff. Come on, Z. Uh, we have like some work to do. <laughs> like, I just I told him I was just doing some some movement work because I had to get some movement work in, um, or I'll get a lift in, or I have to go to the arena later. Uh, so lately, it's been, it's been time consuming. That. I feel bad sometimes. Like my teammates will ask me, you want to go to dinner? I want to go, but I'm not going to say, yeah. Cause I oh, might yeah. get up, get off the plane and somebody might say, Z, we got to go do
0: this. Well, that's also to your point. That's the difference between pros and you're, when you're at this level, it's like, you got to do what the boss says. <laughs> it's like, we're doing this. You got to go do it. Have you gotten to enjoy uh new Orleans?
2: New Orleans. um, It's my kind of city. Um, I think it's a lot going on. Um, but it's also very calm, and it's a place where I can actually like you know drive a car without being stuck in traffic for forty fifty minutes. Um, but it's my kind of city, a lot going on, but still calm. I have a question for both of you guys
0: so this has affected you at when you were at duke in in sort of different ways, but Zion, I was thinking about this the game I forget who was it was it the Carolina game where the game that Obama was at and you got hurt? Really, really early on in the game, <laughs> man. Like, it was that game, which is sort of a crazy you talk about like a regular season game, but just has an insane amount of hype. But like one of the things that I was thinking about after that, like you sort of became this this kind of flagpole, like flagpole for for people criticizing the NCAA and talking about how like oh, why isn't he getting paid? All these different things like this, and you're just a, you're just playing, like you're not involved. So when that kind of thing happens, are you? Are you paying attention to it? To it? Are you blocking everything out? Like, what's your... Where's your,
2: like, headspace? My headspace was kind of just, you know, at the time, ignore it. Um, I'm there. There's nothing I can do to change that immediately. You know, maybe now I can voice something and it'll eventually change. But at the moment, um, there's nothing I can do except just play the game I love at and, and the school I love, so... Was there was
1: there any thought to to shutting shutting
2: it down after that? No, uh, you know everybody kept telling me that, and, actually, and I was like, no, I wanna I wanna try to go win a national championship. Like, uh, and the bond I built with those guys in those few months was was incredible. And like, I genuinely, as a person, like I would have felt bad if I I felt I would have felt selfish, and I couldn't do that to myself or my teammates. i have been like. I can't let y'all down like that. So I I, I told them from the moment they started hearing it, I'm coming back. Like, Ignore all that. You told me
1: that you actually considered coming back for your sophomore year. That was a thought you had, which would have been the craziest thing ever. Has anybody done that in the last, like, maybe Duncan did it, but nobody's done that in the last, like, 25 years, right? I don't think anyone has done Was was going to be the number one pick and then just like, nah, I'm going to do another year of college?
0: Not that I can remember.
1: How many days did you say to yourself, hey, I might
2: go back? How many hours it was like the, <laughs> the it was like the deadline. I think the deadline when you had to declare you you had to say, "All right, what are you going to do? Declare or not?" Me, I wanted to go back. Nobody ever believes me. They think I'm just saying that, but no. I genuinely wanted to go back. I I felt like the NBA wasn't going anywhere. You know, the money thing, that's money. Like I don't play this for money. I play it because I genuinely love the game. I just loved my experience at Duke that much where I wanted to stay. Yeah. But it was one of those situations where Coach K is not gonna let me come back, you know, cause he wants me to do what's best for the family. You know, my teammates are, you know what I'm saying, man, that would be dope if you come back, but same time, you know, they're telling me I would be leaving too much. You know, I did work this long to get to that. It was tough. Um, at the end of the day, I think it was kind of my mom, you know, she said, she's gonna support whatever I do. So I was like, all right, I'm going back. And then, you know, I think her and my stepdad talked about it and they were like, you know, you too hard to get to this moment. Like you'd feel bad if you left it. So I said, I did work for this since I was like four and five, so I'm Well also, and
0: then your and your teammates also were leaving. You know, so I feel like that makes it like RJ and Camilla. So that you guys were in a similar spot where you not speaking for them now, but you know, you're in that in this place where you guys accomplished a huge amount as freshmen, but you also are now taking the jump and trying something new and being like, how how can we take the success we've had in college and, like, bring it to the next level?
2: I think it was just a matter of wherever we go, we, we got to find our role. Yeah. Um, you know, Coach K talks about role. I learned a lot from him in those few months. It's, it's actually crazy to me. You know, him and my stepdad would always talk about finding your role. I think once you find your role and excel in that, Then you'll be able to branch off into doing more things. So that was our goal, you know, where we go, find our role, excel in it. And that will allow us to have bigger roles. That I don't, did he ever use the, the, the Broadway show? He used analogy with
1: you because that's the one he used to always use with us was like, if you watch a Broadway show, right? It could be like the sixth most important lead, right? And they've got a star in their role that night, the understudy right has to star in their role and then eventually like if you star in your role maybe you get the lead maybe yeah. you're maybe you're you know you're on the marquee someday yeah like you you whatever your role is star in that role i thought that was great because like you come in as a freshman Not maybe not you but like you come in as a freshman or you know maybe things aren't happening as quick as you want you come in as a rookie for me in the nba it was like i had to figure out like in my role my first few years fuck man it was very minimal I was the guy getting coffee for people.
0: <laughs> <laughs> who have you? Who have you been uh, impressed by watching so far this year? That like surprised you?
2: I would say Etwan more the first time I heard about Etwan was through our player development coach, uh, Brandon. He goes, "You know, I can't wait till training camp. It's gonna be this dude named Etwan. He comes in the gym. Nobody know him. Nobody thinks he can hoop. He's a bucket." And I was like, "All right, I can't wait to meet Etwan." Sure enough, that happened. Training, training camp came, Etuan came, and he's impressed me, not only on court but off court. I think he's had a span where he didn't touch the floor for two or three games. Never bothered. He was like, you know, I know my role. I know what I can bring to the team. When the team is ready, they'll bring me. And he always stays ready. I think that's why when he goes to the game, he has the impact he has because he knows his role and he knows what he can bring to the table. He is like
1: legitimately a pro's pro. He is, he is a professional and he's a professional bucket getter for sure, for sure. Uh, we want to be respectful of your time. My last question to you is just, you know, mentally, what, what has been the biggest challenge over these last eight to 10 weeks as you're, as you're doing your, your recovery? Has it been the actual like monotony of rehab? Has it been not being able to play? What, what has been the biggest challenge?
2: I think the biggest challenge has been just a challenge of rehab. You know how tough it is just for hours, you know, watch people watching you, like how you like land, how you like bend when you do this motion over and over. Like, make sure that knee doesn't cave in. Make sure it stays out. Make sure it's above the third toe. Make sure you're standing straight. Uh, land like this. And Even when I just got on the court, it's still the same. Um, you know, when you hear it for so long, it does bother you a bit, but I think with the Pelicans, you know, I have people around me just saying, you know, it's going to pay off. You know, there's a reason why you're doing this. You're going to come back even better. And I I do feel that. I feel my body does feel a lot better.
1: Well, Z, thank you for being a good rookie. And uh, I look forward to actually being on the court with you. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. Appreciate you. No problem, man. Well, I think we've provided a, a decent amount of hot takes, uh, <laughs> on this episode. Uh, want to thank Zion again for, for coming on and, uh, and talking with us. And we look forward to episode two with JJ Reddick and Tommy Alter. Uh, thanks for listening. Hasan Minaj and Malcolm Gladwell will be on episode two. Uh, we'll have some Christopher Nolan takes and obviously some hoops talk. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Talk to you soon.